Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You know, one of the things that I think you'd be interested in is things that we celebrate. I can't imagine that this is one of those days that we had celebrated, but believe it or not, this past Monday, we could celebrate 28 years ago that day, that particular Monday, the largest single-day drop in the history of the stock market. Would you believe it's been 28 years? But the S&P fell in, down to 20.5% on that Monday, 10-19 of 1987. I know I remember what I was doing at that particular day as we watched the market. Of course, everybody knows the S&P 500 consists of, uh, you know, 500 stocks chosen for market size, including that's liquidity in the industry group and, you know, it does all that. But that's 28 years ago. In spite of tumbling that 20.5% on the single trading day of Monday, again, that's 1019, 28 years ago, it, uh, the, game, the S&P ended the year up 5.3% total return for the entire year of 1987. Again, that's kind of a, one of those little trivia thoughts for you, but I'm sure those that were around in 1987 in the market investing, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You remember that, and we've had a correction this past year. In fact, um, we had gone for the bull market for the S&P 500 in, the, in its 80th month, having gained 246%. That's a total return through Friday of last week. That's 10-16-2015 since bottoming. And everybody remembers this on March the 9th. 2009. Now, all of us, you know, you guys know this. You think about it. You get into this mindset of what happens in the market and all the ups and the downs. And here on Talk Money, we talk about that. We've got somebody coming up in a minute that's going to help us go through this process. But in 3909, the index had dropped, you know, we had saw that correction. Since then, we've just had one correction of 12%. And that ended, of course, on the 25th of August of this year. Corrections, everybody knows, you know this, it's defined as a drop of at least 10% from a previous closing high. So, hey, that's kind of important for us to know and understand and uh, appreciate everybody paying attention to that. Uh, We've got somebody coming up here in just a few minutes that's going to help us get through some of this up and the down and the, the movement that happens in the market and why it happens. So stay with us because, hey, I'm going to talk more about that. It, um, let me give you one more thought before we go. This is something you would appreciate because if you happen to read this book by Harry Dent, it was a book that I actually interviewed him years ago. He's kind of that guy, that stock market procrastinator that went through the process of writing this book. And he made a prediction that in, he did it in 2000 that he said 40, the Dow would reach 40,000 by 1230, 2009. 
Now, just for us to make sure we know the statistics, it didn't happen that way. The Dow closed at 10,428 on 1231-2009. Now, he believes that the Dow will fall to 6,000 in the next 18 months. And that's by the end of by the early part of 2017. And, of course, most of us know uh, 1016, just a couple of days ago, the market was up, closed at 17,216. That's Dent Research that's given it. I don't know. I, this guy kind of makes me wonder, should I trust him? He said 40,000. That didn't happen. Now he's saying six. I don't think so. Hey, that's the way it works. But we're going to find out from somebody later on about what's telling us that uh, is going on with the market. I'm going to be interviewing a guy by the name of Rusty Leonard. So stay with us because when we come back, you're going to want to ask him questions. You're going to want to listen to his answers about what you should be doing with this type of market. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at kparish at shoemakerfinancial.com. Any statements made by our guests are not necessarily the opinion of Securian Financial Services or Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. And welcome back. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things that we deal with when we talk about the S&P and, of course, 10, 19, 87, the Dow drops 25.5%. You know, that's that volatility that goes on. That's it, what happens, and it builds that emotional side in us. And, again, we've had the correction, of course, in 2008. We still live through that and all the issues that go on. And I think a lot of times we get this point where you think about you get involved in this investor mindset where we kind of get, you know, we feel a little optimistic and then something happens and we get a little concerned. And if you identify with that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the emotional side that gets us in trouble. Well, my guest today is going to help us understand how to get around some of the emotions and some of the thought processes that goes on in our minds as we watch the Dow and we watch the S&P 500 and we listen to everybody on the media side. My guest, Rusty Leonard, he's a very faithful guest of ours, does a wonderful job. He is the president and CEO of Stewardship Partners. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. Well, I know you're busy today. I know you're running hard. You've got a couple of things. You're doing a speaking engagement, I know, in, in North Carolina, I guess. Are you in Charlotte? That's correct. You're yep. in Charlotte? That's well, correct. I don't want to... Ridgecrest. 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 Okay. you got yeah. the Crown Group, I believe, today you're speaking That's to. That's right. Yeah. Well, Rusty, I thank you for taking the time. But if you think about this, this market has been moving, and I just talked a little bit about Harry Dent. You remember that book he wrote, the, the great procrastinator that he was? He talked about the Dow going to 40,000? 
Correct. Well, guess, I remember that. Guess what? He's now predicting by the beginning of 2017, the Dow will be at 6,000. Mm. Now, you think about that. You, you and I can look at things different, but for the person driving down Poplar Avenue right now, you're thinking, well, which do I believe? How, who do I believe? And, and what should I believe? Rusty, help us get through this. The financial markets have had a rough third quarter. I mean, it was pretty tough. You know, October seems to have bounced back. What does this mean for that person listening on the radio? Well, you know, it means the same thing that the stock market has done uh, for for ages. Uh, maybe a little bit more volatile nowadays than perhaps in the past, but uh, not all that much. So it's uh, it. You talked about emotions in your uh, lead into my introduction here, and uh, that's really what drives the market in the short term: is emotional behavior and uh, some, oftentimes irrational behavior. So the person down, driving down Popular uh, Avenue ought to just. Uh, not pay too close of attention to it because uh, there's a lot of people who are manic depressive who work in the stock market, a lot of computers <laughs> who trade the market who are manic depressive. And uh, if, you, if you pay too much attention to them, you'll get confused. If, if you focus on the long term, keep your, your wits about you, buy when things are low and when other people hate them, sell when everybody loves them. Generally, that's a good formula for long-term success in the stock market. So, so you're talking about for the person that uh, gets emotional is try to stay away from that. So it seems that part of this... The the global economy is in recession. I mean, we look talk about Europe, we talk about China, and it seems like other parts are doing fine. In fact, what I was reading is you've got uh, energy is, you know, we're seeing, we're enjoying the price and the, at the, the you know, pump. We're enjoying that when we go fill up the truck or the car, but commodity prices are down. Industrial, uh, some of the sectors there are down. Some of that's really struggling, but we seem to be as consumers enjoying a pretty good rebound in the overall economy. What does that mean to us, though, from the global side? Yeah, it's definitely a confusing time. Uh, we have two economies out there. Uh, the one economy is the kind of the industrial side of the economy, the energy, the, the uh, you know, iron ore prices, coal prices, things like that, copper prices, and then the industrial sector who uses all those things. All those areas are in a recession right now, right across the globe. Uh, Caterpillar just announced the, the fourth straight year of bad uh, results. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very unusual. I don't think they've ever had four straight years of declining results previously. And so that that's a good representation of the industrial side of the economy. But on the other side, we are benefiting. As consumers, we're paying some pretty low prices at the pump and enjoying that. And, and so you have part of the economy that's doing well and part of it that's really uh, doing very, very poorly. And the question now becomes, who's going to win out? Is the part of the global economy that's doing poorly going to leak into the part that's doing well and drag things down? And there's some concern about that because we're seeing some of these large corporations uh, you know, really jump pump up the layoffs in mm. order to get their uh, businesses back in shape? Or is it going to be the other way around? Is the part of the, of the economy, the consumer part of the economy, that's doing well, relatively speaking, it's not like it's booming, but it's doing rel- well relative to the uh, industrial side of the economy, is that going to pull the industrial side out of the, that recession they're in and everything's going to be fine in the end? That's really the big question here in the short term, and we're really, uh, we don't have an answer to it just yet. I know the ECB, uh, let's look back over at Europe, and I know they're suffering with a ten over 10% uh, unemployment right now. And in January, uh, I think Mr. Draghi, he actually put, said we're going to do, you know, they actually did some, some you know, quantitative easing. Now, I've just read in a journal that uh, he says they're going to do more quantitative easing, and that seems to have pumped up a little bit of that international market. Are you seeing that? Do you believe that's where he's headed to boost up the economy, to boost up growth, that he's going to do some more quantitative easing? 
Well, he hinted at that. He, he didn't. Uh, he commit didn't to say it. it. You're right. You're right. Yeah, he he uh, he hinted at it, and uh, that was enough for Wall Street to go crazy. Yeah, because, as we noted, them, as we noted, <laughs> yeah, Wall Street's a manic depressive maniac. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, That's a good so point. they took the hit and they ran with it. But the uh, <laughs> but the fact is, he may when he when he get to December, which is his next meeting, he may may or may not uh, you know act on that, and he may they you know they're, they're psychologists themselves. They play games with the markets. They want to keep the market prices high because that helps the economy, but they actually don't want to do this stimulus if they can afford not right. to. So if they hint about it and the markets respond favorably, then that, they achieve their goal without ever having to do it. Uh, also in December, we're going to have the U.S. Federal Reserve coming out with a potential change in policy where they skipped on raising rates last time because they were concerned about the impact of that. In September, they were concerned about the impact that would have on the emerging markets, and it might cause uh, great financial stress there, which is probably something we should talk about before this conversation is well, over. Well, let's, let's do this. I mean, let's move, because I guarantee you everybody that's listening is thinking, are we going to raise rates? I would say that uh, we, we probably should, uh, just based on our own domestic economy. But when you do, you know, as I do, look at what's going on in the emerging markets of the world, where they have taken down tons and tons of debt, and that debt has been denominated in, the, in dollars, you have, uh, you're putting incredible stress on an already stressful situation. And so what, we ha- what we've had in the past, you know, since 2008, we had a U.S. banking crisis, which kind of set everything off. We overcame that. Then we had, in 2011, a European banking crisis and sovereign debt crisis, where the, not only was it the banks that were going bad, but it was countries that were going bad. We managed to dodge that bullet. But right now, it appears that we're moving into the third wave of this thing, which is the emerging markets debt crisis. And that is the thing that concerns me the most about the uh, global economy. And it's apparently a, a concerning a lot of the uh, emerging market nations as well, because China this morning announced a bunch of interest rates, cuts, and other other actions to try to stimulate their, their economy, which they claim is growing at 6.9%, but just about everybody realizes that that's a, a false number. Well, do you, that's, that leads me to my next question. If you, if you, do you feel that this problem that we've been having with international markets has been caused by this weakness, this global economy? Is that, is that weaker because of China and because they're going to, they say they're going to do this? And of course, 6.9. I mean, that I always kind of take that a little bit, little bit with a grain of salt and thinking, okay, maybe that's how they calculate it or whatever. But any sign that China has really turned around and maybe they've got this e- economic stimulus going and moving in the right direction? Well, it's very similar to our, to our own economy and uh, what I said at the outset there, where their consumer sector of their economy is, is doing pretty well. And, you know, retail sales are up. They're selling a lot of automobiles. Housing seems to have rebounded a little bit there. But the industrial sector of their economy is falling apart like a cheap suit. And they have a bunch of they, – you know, they overbuilt steel facilities and coal mines and just, they built, just about anything industrial they overbuilt. And now they had just – a week or so ago, they had the first uh, large steel company unable to make a payment uh, on their debt. And, you know, there's a general belief that there's going to be quite a bit more of that as we go along, that there's many, many, many Chinese companies that are not going to be able to either make uh, repay their debt or even service their debt, which means just making the interest payments. So we could that could kick off an emerging markets banking crisis uh, in the, you know, that would potentially leak into the developed markets. There could be a contagion effect, and there certainly would be concern in the, in the markets as that kind of emerging markets debt crisis uh, comes about. Now, China is still a pretty wealthy country, and the government there kind of controls things much more so than uh, we do in the developed world uh, because it's still a communist, it's a capitalist economy, but with a communist government. And the communist government doesn't want the economy to fall apart because that would undermine their power. And so they may just intercede and, you know, 
make sure that these things don't go bankrupt. We're going to have to wait and see how that all plays out. But it's a pretty large problem, and they'd have to commit quite a bit of resources. And that's one of the reasons why they've been selling their U.S. Treasuries to bring that money back home to help deal with these problems. Yeah, that's a good point. If you just tuned in, of course, you're listening to Talk Money here on KWAM 990. My guest is Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners, and we're talking about the economy. You know, you ask questions. You have to make decisions. You're in this environment where you're trying to decide what to do with your 401k plan. What do you do with your investment plan? you got to retire in the next couple of years. Well, you want to know the answers. You want to know how the market's doing. Of course, that's why Rusty Leonard's our guest today. And he always does a great job. And Rusty, I guess you talked about emerging markets. You talked about China and the economy, the global recession, but yet U.S. seems to be good. Is there a banking crisis? I mean, you remember 2008, we saw this banking crisis. Europe, is that going on? We saw that in 2011. What's this uh, problem with the emerging markets? And is that a banking crisis? And what should be the ramifications of this market? What should we be looking for? I'm thinking, again, how do I make a decision? How do the listener make a decision? What would you tell us about all this crisis stuff that people are talking about? Well, I would say that it's still time, even though we're seeing the last, uh, so far this month, we've seen a big recovery from the sell-off in the third third quarter. So there was a lot of panic about China in the third quarter, and the stock market sold off, and a lot of financial assets sold not just stocks, bonds, everything sold off. So then uh, we've had a big rebound. A lot of that was short covering because a lot of the you know, the manic-depressive hedge funds in New York City and London and elsewhere all got themselves overly short at the end of the third quarter, and then they uh, decided, well, we've got to get this balanced off, and so they re- rushed to cover their shorts, which essentially means they bought stocks. The news flow, however, continues to be bad, and so we're back into one of these markets where the bad news is good news, because if, it's, if there's bad news, the thought is that there's going to be stimulus interventions by the government, government authorities, such as Draghi promising that he might do something in December, right. such as the Chinese cutting interest rates today. Uh, that's still, the problem still remains that the fundamentals haven't changed, that there, there's this, this pressure on the market. There's a deflationary environment out there. Uh, growth is hard to come by. Earnings, corporate earnings aren't really all that strong. And the stronger the dollar is, which is what we've been seeing lately, uh, the tougher it is for U.S. companies to make money because they have a lot of operations overseas. So there's a lot of things that cause me to say, you know what? If the manic depressive market wants to be on the manic side and they're not really looking at reality, which is a still weakening situation, uh, I think I'll be happy to be, be content to be you know, more on the sidelines. More on the sidelines. Uh, more con- more yeah. conservative? Is that what you're saying? Just a little That's more correct. conservative? Good. Cautiously. Uh, the way I, I phrase it for my clients is we're cautiously positioned. Okay. We, don't want to, uh, we don't want to be too exposed to the market because there's still the risk that all of a sudden these, these uh, emerging market debt problems become something much more significant to the market, and uh, that becomes the focus of in- investors' uh, eyes, minds, and hearts, and emotions. And uh, as a result of that, you could see a, another downside swing in the market. Now, I will say this, we're, we're fighting against a seasonally strong period of the year. As we come into November and December, these are two of the best months typically for the market. So you're really going to have to have a pretty good amount of bad news in order to offset that seasonal strength. But bad news is bad news. Third quarter numbers are coming out, and um, it hasn't all been good. I mean, you just mentioned one while ago. So what does, what does that tell us about our economy? Well, again, we have this 
bifurcated uh, economy. You know, so Caterpillar's doing terrible, but yesterday we had a bunch of tech companies produce very good earnings. Very good earnings. And uh, so, so that you could easily say, well, you know, life. It depends on which way you want, to, which direction you want to look. You want to look in one direction and say, gosh, things look terrible. You look in the other direction, gosh, things look wonderful. And so, so that uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult. A lot of this, though, has to do with financial engineering as well. It's not necessarily strong, uh, strong underlying company fundamentals. So what you're seeing is sales growth uh, is not growing. I mean, sales are actually in a decline. And so companies are having to buy back their shares. They're, they're, fortunately, they're, they're wealthy. They have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, so they can buy back their shares. That increases their earnings per share. They're able to lay off people, which, again, is not good for the economy, and we're seeing more and more of that. In the uh, third quarter, we saw a real increase in layoffs. Eula um, Packard laid off 30,000 people or announced that they're going to lay off 30,000 people, and there's a whole slew of them. Very good companies, uh, Biogen, a real a real strong, large biotech company, you know, biotechs are doing great. They said they're going to lay off 11% of their sales force. Hmm. So these are things that uh, they're doing in order to keep their profit margins high, even as sales are struggling along. And as a result of that, you're seeing earnings hanging in there, but barely. You know, <laughs> you're going to probably see in the third quarter that when you add it all up, the S&P 500 will probably have flattish earnings uh, that were forecast to come in about four percent lower. But they always beat their forecast. That's been something that you know they they guide everybody lower, and then they they easily beat it. So they'll probably come in somewhere down one percent to flat. Would be my guess by the time we tally everything up. Well, that's not strong. You know, you know some companies are doing well, but others are not. And on average, it's uh, it's not all that. Great. So it's kind of hard to to see. You want to buy stocks, obviously, when earnings are are rising quickly. Sure. We don't have that happening right now. Let me. I mean, I think Rusty. One of the biggest issues. Do you feel that that some of these forecasts of earnings and and you said it kind of in a way they get people to kind of push them down so they then they can beat them. Is that not the corporate game? If someone doesn't beat their earnings projection. Is that a bigger negative sign than than what really should be? Because I mean, they, you're right; they beat it down to the point where they're guaranteeing they're going to make it almost. But when they, if they don't, is that a bigger negative or just take it with a grain of salt? Well, I think it is a bigger negative. If they've beaten it down, they can't even beat their beaten down message, <laughs> and you really ought to be worried, exactly right? exactly what I'm asking. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. Yeah, that really ought to be a signal, shouldn't it? That's right. So it's kind of a funny game that, you know, everybody that's learned to play this game on Wall Street so that if uh, if a company is supposed to earn a dollar and they um, and they don't earn a dollar five, then it's a disappointment right. because everybody and, and, knows they were supposed to beat it. And if they end up earning only 95 cents, then it's really bad because they were, you know, they said a dollar, but everybody thought a dollar five and they ended up earning 95, so that's really a bad deal. So, yeah, it's a, it's a game that's been in place for a long time uh, now, and, um, you know, everybody's learned how to play it, the, the company management, the analysts, the market, everybody. Well, if you just tuned in, our guest is Rusty Leonard. We're learning how to play the game that <laughs> Rusty's teaching us. And if you've just tuned in, this is always a good part of the program because Rusty really helps us get some insight into, as we call it, the game. But how do we approach the rest of the year? He's talked about you know November, December being good months. When he comes back in just a few minutes, we're going to tie up one on the military presence, Russia's military presence in Syria. And is that a new wrinkle? Is that something we need to think about? Is that something that's going to play into the political side, the market, and what happens there? Uh, also, we'll get his forecast on the 2016 elections. I'm looking forward to that. We'll be back right after this.
This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at kparish at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. If you're thinking about what you need to do in the market, if you're thinking about your 401k plan, if you're thinking about that investment portfolio that you felt it, you saw it, you've been living through it for the last 90 days, it's going up and the market's going down, you got the emotions involved, you're listening to Rusty Leonard, who is my guest. He's a CFA, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest of ours. And again, Rusty, welcome back to the program, sir. Thank you. Well, you know, before the break, we were we covered everything from financial markets and the rough time we had in the third quarter to China to, I mean, we've just talked about energy, the global economy, and all the things that we have, and all of that's so important. But I guess here's one thing that kind of mm, kind of gets you a little bit of your attention because we think of the Middle East, we think of the biblical aspects of the Middle East and what goes on yeah. there, but Russia's military presence in Syria is a is kind of a I don't know it's one of those things that you you kind of pay attention to that the um, a lot of people think about the geopolitical idea behind what happens when Russia gets involved in Syria so how should we be thinking about that what do you what do you feel when you read that in the headlines well like I said one of the big risk factors as we've noted already is that the emerging markets debt crisis might might become something that gets on the radar screen. But another thing is clearly this Russia uh, being in the Middle East. Uh, that's a scary thing. We never really want to see the uh, nuclear superpowers uh, operating their militaries that close to one another uh, and having different agendas at the same time. So, the, you know, the possibility of an accident happening that could uh, you know, cause uh, a greater conflagration, if you so to speak, a, a war of some sort that would involve the superpowers is uh, not likely, but gosh, it's a whole lot more likely than it was a month ago before yeah. Russia showed up in the Middle East. So that has me uh, concerned, and obviously because we, we've read the, the Bible and read the end of the Bible, we know that the, the possibility of something happening uh, in the Middle East at the end of times is something that uh, we all want to pay attention to. Yeah. Now, we can't really know any of those types of things. Obviously, the Lord said himself that we can't really, we won't know those, those times, but uh, we can certainly sense that uh, when those parties are in place uh, and that you know, you just never know what might might turn around and happen, and what accident may occur that would lead to something that 
you know, no, one would never expect. And of course, in the Middle East, it seems like that's always what is happening, something that you don't expect. Right. So we want to keep a very close eye on that yeah, as good, we go forward. Point. Something else we're watching in Canada, the people have just elected a new liberal prime minister. I mean, that's kind of a unique thing. And in fact, uh, all around the world, you've mentioned this before, liberals seem to be gaining the upper hand. And is that, uh, you know, what does that do for the person that's investing over the, you know, the long term, uh, how does that you think about from the liberal side? Is that good? Uh, is that bad? I mean, I know that that's a question that, that I ask a lot. Is it better to have a conservative government or is it better to have a liberal government? And I guess I'm asking, what do you think about the U.S. elections in 2016? So two questions. The elections coming up and what do you think about liberal uh, politics and liberal governments? Well, assuming that uh, Hillary Clinton can dodge any kind of uh, and she can. indictment. And she indictment. can. <laughs> yeah, it probably can. I think she stands a very good chance of winning the election. Uh, it's just because of that liberal trend that is going on uh, across the world. It's a wave that just, uh, it's hard to understand why a wave of liberalism takes over and then later in time a wave of conservatism takes over. But right now we're clearly going through a wave of liberalism. And so that means she'd have to mess up in order to not win the uh, the election in 2016. Mm. Uh, now, she easily could mess up, but I think that uh, it's very possible that uh, she would end up being the, uh, unfortunately, being, from my perspective at least, being a, a conservative. Uh, she has a very good chance of, of winning the election in 2016. And what that means for investors is not necessarily as bad as you might think. Um, Actually, if you look back over time, uh, during periods of time when a Democrat has been in office, the market has, uh, I haven't looked at, I haven't updated this recently, but that has, uh, Typically, they've done the market's done better than when a Republican's been in business. Yes. I've always said that's because the Republicans have had to clean up the liberals' mess, <laughs> and the liberals are uh, are benefiting from the conservative policies that were put in place before them. But nevertheless, that has been the uh, the case in the past. So it's not necessarily a death knell to have uh, have uh, somebody who wants to tax your your you know capital gains more and wants to tax your income more, which is what liberals always want to do. Uh, it doesn't mean that the you know that we're going to have a big recession or something like that. But it is certainly not as ideal as a situation for investors is when a conservative is in there who's looking to reduce capital gains, taxes, increase investment, employment, and growth, and all those things, with uh, letting the free market kind of uh, run run the system. So I would say that uh, it's a it's a net negative on the you know when you have a Democrat and a kind of a liberal orientation in the uh, in the leadership. But we do also know that the House of Representatives will likely be strongly uh, Republican. And as a result of that, the ability for uh, Hillary Clinton, if she is the pre- next president, to be able to um, to put forth a liberal agenda will be much more difficult than many might think. Well, you know, when her husband was president, uh, actually, if you go back to Newt Gingrich, we saw him kind of help pull some things together, and they worked in the middle. And I think overall that will probably go down in history as a fairly good Eight years of presidency and Congress working together, at least six of those eight years. From that at least from an economic perspective. From an economic <laughs> yeah. perspective. That's yeah. what I meant, from an economic yeah. perspective. Well, again, I thank you, Rusty. You always do a great job. You take some complicated subjects and bring it down to a level that we can understand it, and we appreciate it. I know you've got to go. You've got a speaking engagement. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule today. And as always, sir, thank you and have a great day. And you too, and all your listeners as well. Thank okay. you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.
Well, if you've been listening, you know that we've been talking about some issues that we all face when the market goes up and down and volatile. But what about retirement? And what do you do when you're facing the decision of whether or not do you need long-term care? Well, that's when I'm going to come back. I'm going to be talking with Jeff Grimm, who is a long-term care, one of our guys in the office. And we're going to dive into that subject so that you can figure out, is it something you should be considering? So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated. Talk money. We'll return right after this. It is often said that ideas are ahead of their time. This was certainly the case with those of Memphis businessman Clarence Saunders. The idea of a self-service grocery store complete with shopping carts, aisle displays, refrigerators, and multiple checkout stands is a concept we take for granted today. But this approach was revolutionary in 1916 when Saunders opened the first Piggly Wiggly store on Jefferson Street. Convinced that the traditional layout of grocery stores often led to their failure, Saunders patented a new model, which helped customers view all the available choices before deciding what to buy. What Saunders wanted in return was cash and payment rather than credit. This sound business model led to the rapid success of the Piggly Wiggly franchise, which grew to over 2,500 stores nationwide during the Great Depression. Although Saunders himself had to declare bankruptcy in 1923 after selling his stake in Piggly Wiggly at a heavy loss of nearly $40 million and was forced to sell his unfinished Pink Palace mansion to the city of Memphis, his ideas not only changed the way America went to the supermarket, but also influenced how many other businesses organized their manufacturing and customer relations systems. In the inner corridors of the Pink Palace today, a life-size model of the first Piggly Wiggly store still pays tribute to the legacy of Saunders, a visionary who is truly before his time. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. My guest is Jeff Grimm. Now, let me let me kind of give Jeff this idea. Jeff, there's, when we think about it, and if you're listening, you know that that decision, you have to think about it. It's a hard decision. Do I buy long-term care? Art, you know that. I mean, people think about that. Do I buy long-term care or do I buy life insurance? Or do it's a it's a question that I don't care. It, it, you have to it it, it pulls and pushes because if I don't use long-term care, if I don't end up in the nursing home, I don't really need long-term care. I know it's I'm going to die. It's always confusing. It's always confusing. Well, we got somebody that's going to help us unconfuse it. <laughs> <laughs> My guest is Jeff Grimm. He is one of our financial planners at the office. And, Jeff, let me just, uh, first of all, sir, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Uh, what I want to ask is, is what is, for, for the listener, what is long-term care? 
Well, long-term care is a range of services and supports you may need for your personal uh, planning uh, care needs. Most long-term care is not medical care, but rather assistance with the basic personal task. What, is that, what is that personal task now? When you say personal task, uh, let's make sure everybody knows that. Personal tasks to live independently without somebody's help. They're referred to as activities of daily living. I can and, think of a couple of those that uh, I can do, have to do that's daily living. I can get that. Okay. What? Well, when it comes to an insurance company and if you have long-term care insurance to go on claim, you, you have to meet uh, two of six of these Two activities. of the six. So only two. So give me the six. Okay. Bathing, eating, dressing, continence, toileting, and transferring. I get that. I get that. All right. I mean, that makes sense. I mean... Uh, you know, there's the six of those that they're testing. Now, if you're listening, you're thinking, okay, six of those. I only have to not be able to do two. If if you cannot do two of those or you have a cognitive impairment, you, you can get on claim. I could for pass for care. the cognitive impairment on occasions. <laughs> I totally get that. Who needs care, Jeff? I mean, who is the person that needs to be listening right now that thinks, okay, do I need care? All right, well, let me talk about the, the odds of going on claims. So 70% of the people turning 65 can expect to use long-term care. 70%. 70%. Okay, so you think about that, that. That's a lot of people. All right, compare that to homeowner's insurance, all right? That's something we all have. We're going to insure our home. Right. But people look at long-term care and, you know, well, my family might take care of me. I may not need it. But look at the odds of it. I mean, 70% based on, I mean, the, the fact that your home could – potentially burned down, of course, you're going to protect that asset. But but, but the asset would be in your, your, your net worth that you've built. If you haven't protected that, what you're saying is there's a 70% chance of a person over 65 before they die. Now, you know, what, what we don't think about today is death doesn't occur. When I started in the business, and it's been a long time ago, but we'll have to go there, uh, I, you know, it was the idea behind somebody could get to 65, and by the time they were 72, we're done. Today, it's 82, it's 85. Now, we're actually planning, Jeff, am I right? Yeah, life expectancy is past 80, 80 now, the average. Easily past 80, 82, 83, 84. We think about now today to do officially a good plan for somebody, we take it out to age 90. Yeah, so, so who, who may need care? It's the you know, age. The older you are, the more likely you will need these services. Mm-hmm. That's just a natural part of life, sure. growing older. Uh, family history. This is another one. You know, long, if you have longevity in your family, if you live into the mid nineties, you know your grandmother lived old. You, you may have a chance of living pretty old yourself. Things like arthritis and Alzheimer's, and also gender. Women live outlive men by five years. And sixty-eight percent of nursing homes and seventy-two percent of assisted living facilities are occupied by women. You know, I, that's such a good point. I'm a, I, my mother. Uh, I can remember my mother who died. She was ninety-one years old. When we first began to see what was going, we would. Uh, she she actually uh, was in a nursing home and had private care. And we we. But I, I remember going and we would go and have lunch with her on Sundays or you know go and maybe. You know, we used to take her fishing uh, on on Saturdays and things. And you're right. I mean, it is it is a large female population in nursing homes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, and, and this comes into like how long people stay. You know, the women will, on average, stay longer in. They're a nursing just stronger home. than we are. Face yeah, it, like guys. I, and that's why you see fact. mostly women when you go to a nursing home facility to visit a relative. Or another thing is uh, to consider is if you need it, do you, when you enter retirement, do you have enough money to live on for your retirement so how, needs? I guess the question is, how much do I need? I mean, you know, think about that with me. How much, if I've got to buy it, how much do I need to protect the assets that I have? What's the answer to that? 
Well, there's not a, a, a set number. You know, I've I've read before two million. Who 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 knows exactly what it is? Right? That's why we do financial planning. Because everybody's got different goals. You know, you may have a goal that you don't want to leave any money to your heirs, or you may want to leave as much as you can to, you know, to your kids. If that's the case, you want to have enough money to take care of yourself, pay for, pay for a very likely long-term care expense in retirement, and leave money to your heirs. Okay, so I've got – let's, let's uh, tell you what. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back, what, what I'd like to do is help us make a decision on if I, if I need long-term care, which we've kind of decided that I'm living longer – and uh, I, my my wife is going to definitely outlive me, even though she says that's not the case. But she definitely will. She's much better shape than I am. Uh, don't go there either, guys. But the reality is, ladies are living longer, so we need to figure this out. I mean, how much do I need, and who needs to buy it? Why is it important that you buy insurance if you need the insurance? And and who? How do you make that decision? So if you just tuned in, my guest now is Jeff Grimm. We're talking about long term care and who needs. It. You need to listen to that because you're making that decision right now. You've got to decide, do I need long-term care? Do I not need long-term care? When you come back, we're going to find out with Jeff Grimm. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Statements made by our guests are not necessarily the opinion of Securian Financial Services or Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. All right, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest is Jeff Grimm. And if you've got this question, think about this question. I've got to make a decision. You are thinking, okay, I need to buy insurance. And and Jeff mentioned earlier homeowners insurance. I mean, you could get insurance poor if you're not careful. And all of a sudden, you know, do you need long-term care? Well, that's the question we're trying to answer today with Jeff Grimm. But, Art, you've got a question, and it's a great question. So, I mean, I think everybody would ask this question. So go ahead. Hey, Jeff, uh, long-term disability is not the same thing as long-term care insurance, right? Correct. Long-term disability pays you income if you can't work during your working years. So, And it, it usually ends at age 65. Some policies you can get it to age 70. That is a completely different thing than long-term care. But, you know, a lot of people think that uh, if I've got something like long-term, you know, then it's an insurance plan. It might pay for me. A lot of people think they're a health insurance plan will take care of them if they're in a nursing home. That, that's true. Uh, health insurance, a lot of people also think Medicare is going to pay for it. Medicare, right? Medicare will pay for the first 100 days of... Let's, let's drive into that because, again, if I'm thinking that I'm making this decision, do I need to have... How long does a person normally stay if they, if they are confined? My mom, I go back to my mom, 
uh, fell and uh, broke her hip, and we went into rehab, a rehab center. Now, my mom was driving. She was active. She is 88 years old, doing great. Uh, very independent, just, uh, you know, I was still her little boy, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, she she falls, it was an accident, She it was nobody's fault or anything, and she ends up in a in, in the type of, you know, facility that was a rehab center that she really never, ever got out of. I mean, she was there, and for that period of time, but, you know, how long, I mean, she lasted more than 100 days. I'm telling me, she went for two, two and a half years in the nursing home, which they did a great job. But what's the average stay in a, in, a, in a nursing home? Average stay for women is 3.7 years. Average stay for men is less than two years. So, so 100 days, not going to make it. 100 days is not going to make it. 100 days is what, you're, if you're young, your medical insurance will pay for and what Medicare will pay for. All right. Here's the question. If I've got 70% chance that somebody's going to end up in a nursing home in my family, that's what you said, right? 70% chance. Yes. And that's statistical. We can back, you know, there's all kinds of statistics that back those things up. Healthcare does it. The Social Security gives us that kind of data. All right. What is long-term care insurance? And, Jeff, that's the question, I guess, is when I buy long-term care insurance, what am I buying? You're buying basically long-term services and supports, including personal custodial care, in a variety of settings, this gives you flexibility of settings. You can do it in the home, a community organization, or other facility. So it doesn't have to be in a facility. It can be in home. Yeah, traditional long-term care insurance has a, has a home benefit, daily benefit, and it has a facility daily benefit. All right. I guess I'm asking the question, how old do you need to be when you buy it? I mean, should I buy it when I'm 30 or do I wait till I'm 65? Well, I'm not going to tell you never to buy it because you can hear that that odd story of a 30-year-old getting paralyzed or something like that. Absolutely. So I can't say don't buy it. But usually if you're 50, you need to be considering it in your financial plan, whether it's for you and definitely for your parents, you know. Now, today there's different kinds of insurance. Yes. uh, Let's make sure – Give us a little bit of the history, because I know long-term care insurance has been around 20, 25 years. It's changed dramatically. Yeah, so when long-term care first came out, they, they had a very short history on claims and cost and how many folks are going to get on claim. Uh, and pretty much the whole industry did not price it right. It was way too inexpensive, and they, they had way too long of a benefit period, even unlimited benefit periods. So now they put together totally different kind of products. Well, they still have that traditional. It's the prices on the traditional policy went way up. They they did away with unlimited benefit period. And there there's also some hybrid products out there because people look at this. They're like, all right, I'm 70 years old. I know I'm going to need long-term care, but I can't afford. This is very expensive right now. And it wasn't 20, you know, 20 years ago. Okay, so now what are some of the hybrid products? Hybrid products. All right, so there's, there's, a, there's a life insurance option. A lot of good cares that have good permanent life insurance will have a long-term care rider, rider attached on it. That, on that, it. that you either get to use the rider, the insurance, or the death benefit. You're going to get it one way or the other. Yeah, so just like if, if you have two out of the six activities of daily living that you meet or you have a cognitive impairment, this uh, this life policy will pay you claims. And also, you can take your assets today and put assets into a policy, like $100,000, and you get a certain amount 
of benefit that they will give you. So it's just like take $100,000 and you – I just saw this the other day with a 70-year-old took $100,000 of his assets. He gets $400,000 of coverage. And this needs to be understood that you need to check all this out. But the 400000 was if he is in a long-term good benefit, he gets the 400000 But if he never does, he gets his $100,000 back. Yeah, this is great for people that don't want to risk paying premiums and not ever using it. So dumping $100,000 or if you don't ever use it, you're going to get $100,000 back or it's going to go to your heirs. Wow. I mean, that's that's so important for so many people to think about that. Here we are making the decision. What's the maximum number of days that a person is going to be in, in you know, as far as the, the, the time they're going to be there? You said it was a little about two and a half for men, 3.7 for women. Uh, they need to understand what kind of cost are we going to pay for it? If we're going to pay that price, what kind of dollars are we getting quickly? What kind of dollars are we getting if I'm in the hospital? I'm in a nursing home. Okay, so the cost in Memphis, the average is about seventy-two thousand a year for a nice facility. So thou, so okay, I can make a decision. I probably need to have some kind of long-term care, whether it be the traditional plan or the new hybrids that are out there. And Jeff Grimm knows all about that. You can call him at 757-5757 and ask Jeff a lot more information about whether you need long-term care. Jeff, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. Well, it's been a good morning. I appreciate you being here. My board and producer operator and all the people that he takes care of, Art Frederick, of course, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant. This is Mid South History Moments, read by Rebecca Brazier and written by Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're here every Friday. And we enjoy being here with you every Friday, helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Jeff Grimm are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This is the voice of Memphis, AM 990, KWAM Memphis. Online at KWAM 